Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. You can find all my stuff at dailyevolver.com where you can leave me a voicemail message on the connect section and you can write me at jeff at dailyevolver.com. I always like hearing from you. I'm excited about today's show because it just hits the bullseye of what it is I'm trying to do here at the Daily Evolver, which is to map out and explore these new territories of human consciousness and culture that are coming online. Just point them out. And my guest and co-explorer today is Sue Brightman. And she has written a new book that I think really serves that purpose. And we'll get to it in a second, but just a little background on Sue. I've known Sue for a long time, many years. And uh, Sue's been a coach and consultant for executives and companies all over the world. And she worked with me and the gang at the Boulder Integral Center uh, back in the mid uh, decade here. Uh, where we did particularly the, the integral incubator, which where we would have people come in from all over the world to do these five-day trainings, and Sue was always an integral part of that. And um, to get to her new book, which is, and I'll hold it up, we'll probably splice it in there too, but it's called A Call to Further Becoming, A New Declaration from Women Over 50. And in it, Sue makes the case that women in this later stage of life have a unique and powerful role to play in the evolution of humanity. So welcome, Sue Brightman. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you here. So why don't you start, Sue, by just telling us a little bit about your inspiration for writing this book and what you discovered in the process? Yeah, good. Um, my inspiration was really my own life. What was happening in my own life, that's where so much starts, right? And yeah. that's where this whole inquiry started for me. So I had reached my late 50s, um, had had decades of a, a wonderful career, a career I loved, consulting and coaching conscious business with organizations, as you said, traveling a lot. I absolutely loved my work, loved the learning process. I loved all, all of it. And yet, I got to this place after, you know, 28 years or so, where I could feel myself reaching a natural, and I'm going to say satisfied, conclusion. Hmm. I could just feel it. And I'll say more about that, but right now I'll just say that in, in the feeling, the conclusion sort of coming online and becoming real and messages coming to me about that, this feeling like a shift point, I also was aware that I was still so alive, um, healthy, wanting to continue learning, wanting to continue contributing, and honestly, Jeff, not having a clue what that could look like beyond these years that I had put into this work wow. and that I loved. And um, I write about that in the book, this wilderness period that we reach. But just to say that that was really the beginning was this feeling of completeness. And then this, um, this not only puzzlement, but at times feeling a bit terrified mm. 
about what might not lay ahead for me. So here I was, you know, full of all this desire to learn and contribute, et cetera, not knowing quite what to do with that. And as I looked around for women up ahead of my age group in their 60s, even 70s, I couldn't find many models for what it looked like. I, I knew that the word retirement had no resonance for me. <laughs> uh, and, and you probably relate to that. Yeah. So the, the old narrative about retirement or all these images that we get about disengaging, just traveling, volunteering, those didn't appeal at all. And I found this same kind of theme, this thread coming up with women friends and colleagues and women that were in my age group who were clients and in my workshops. So it's something big was sort of up for all of us. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there weren't many models out there made it a, a really um, sort of perplexing space. Yeah, well, let me just say this, if I may interject. There mm -hmm. were models out there, but they were not the ones you wanted anymore. There was grandma, there was you know the traditional models. Um, and and what's, this is what's so interesting to me, and I think my evolutionary loving audience, is that you're actually mapping out, you're, you're, you know, you're, the, the, you're somewhere between the first and second wave feminism. This is, this is a first group of women in the cosmos, as far as we know, who have had this raising of consciousness that are now reaching this level of maturity. Yeah. So there's no models in that it way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we're the first ones that have come out of the feminist movement and have hit the, the glass ceilings, the glass walls, the glass doors, <laughs> worked through it or not. Exactly, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And I came across the work of a cultural anthropologist and what she said touches into what you just talked about. Mary Catherine Bateson, Margaret Mead's daughter. Hmm. I came across her work and she said, for the first time in human history, we have a new phase of life. Yeah. We don't go, right, from adulthood into elderhood, but we go adulthood one, adulthood two, which hmm. she calls the age of active wisdom, and then into elderhood. Yeah. And she said, and I'll never forget this line, she said in her book, Composing a Further Life, and those of us who are in it are pioneering what it means. Hmm. And I read the word pioneering to your point about these evolutionary things that are online and happening, that those of us who are walking life at this stage are actually pioneering what this stage of life looks yeah, like. That's is. right. Yeah. And I always love what Ken said. He said, when you know, Ken Wilbur, he said, when you know you're cutting a new groove in consciousness, you want to pay attention. Yeah. You want to be careful, yeah. you know, you want to take as much as you can into account. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, and, you know, I would, I would, I would echo and add to it that we want to pay attention. And also some of us can't help, but pay attention. Yeah. It's, it's as if we're sitting at the edge of our seats and we can feel something so significant happening. Hmm. And we can't, we can't, this is a double negative, but we can't not respond to it. Uh, and, and that's what I did. Yeah. I made the decision that in order to understand more about what is it that we're discovering as we're pioneering this stage of life, what are some of the markers 
that I would interview 100 women. And my, my thought about that, obviously, was 100 women from different races and economic backgrounds to a certain extent, different parts of the world, um, would give enough of a sense from mm -hmm. their stories and responses that I would be able to say, here are some things that are statistically significant um, that begin to tell us what the new tracks are that we're laying down. Right on, yeah. So, so you interview these hundred women and, and then you come up with these, what you call the 10 declarations that you call from all of these interviews. And maybe tell us a little bit about that process and then we'll get into the declarations and see yeah. what people think. Uh, the process, so I, they were one hour interviews by phone. Obviously I asked the same questions to every woman. The questions I asked, I was um, very conscious about asking open-ended questions where I wasn't leading the witness. So for example, I, I was very curious to find out about what was happening in people's spiritual worlds. Mm -hmm. But I was careful not to ask a question about spiritual practice because it assumed that the women had one. Right. And so um, I, I interviewed and then I meticulously tracked every response to every question, first of all. And then also I tracked what the themes and comments were that came up between the lines, which also rolled into some of the themes. So there were all kinds of things that arose um, that women spoke to that I didn't necessarily ask them specifically about, but that they couldn't help but talk about along the way. Right on. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about reaching, she's a researcher, of course, reaching a high saturation point um, quantitatively. And I tracked what the high saturation uh, themes were. Didn't know if I'd come out with five or eight or 15, and it turned out um, that it was 10. So um, those, those got named as declarations, and that's what the book is about. There's one chapter for each one of the declarations. Right. And you locate these 10 declarations, each of them, in one of the four quadrants in right. the Aqua, Ken Wilber's Aqua model of the quadrants. And let me just set the stage a little bit and then we can walk through them. Right. The quadrants are um, posit that there are four irreducible dimensions to human reality. And that those four dimensions are charted using a vertical axis that divides things between the interiors and exteriors. So my interior, my exterior, and then the horizontal axis divides the world into the upper quadrants, which are the individual quadrants and the lower quadrants, which are the collective quadrants. So there's these four dimensions of reality, my interior of myself, my interior of the culture, uh, exterior of self, which is the body and my behaviors, and then the exteriors of the bigger system, which is, you know, our society and even the weather, that sort of thing. So with that in mind, Sue, uh, let's start with the upper left. Yeah. So this is the interior of the individual. And of course, this is where a lot of it is, right? This is where a lot of it is. It's not where all of it is. Right. 
So the wonderful thing about the aquaframe and the way you just described it, Jeff, is so clear that it keeps us from oversimplifying. This is all of what it means to be in our 60s. This is the thing. This is what we care about. The one thing, or it 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 really blends the 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 four quadrants. So the upper left, and and what I'm what I will suggest. Um, is that as I talk these through, I mean, I think there are two evolutionary impulses that we're tracking here and that I want to speak to. One is the very one you touched on, which is that we are pioneering a whole new stage of life from arguably, Mary Catherine Bateson says 50 to 70. I would say after interviewing over 100 women now, it's more like 55 to mid or late 70s, but be that as it may, that that's one evolutionary impulse. And this is for men and women. For men and women. Yes. Right, yeah. right. The second one is what is, I believe, um, unique to women. So the role of women, as you teed this conversation off, what's happening that is um, especially unique with women and our time in history right, right. now. So we're going to hear both elements as I talk through oh, the, cool. um, the declarations. So if we talk upper left, so interior individual, I found after I discovered what the themes were, that four of them fell into upper left individual interior. The first one, which is a lot of fun, is called in short, done with that. And it kind of speaks to exactly what it's about. It's the clarity of what we're done with. And it's both this energy of a declaration that there are some things I'm not up for anymore. There are some things- <laughs> Don't you I'm love really... that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and isn't that healthy? Yes. And there's a sovereignty that comes with this sense of earning what my done with that's are. I found, Jeff, that there were seven, and I won't talk through all seven right now, but there were seven particular things that came up over and over again. So the, the, scent, the, the declaration that goes with done with that is we're learning to waste no more time on things that do not serve. And that's things that do not serve us, things that do not serve our spiritual growth and our further becoming, and also things that don't serve the world. So there's a multifaceted um, dynamic of this done with that. I just, right. just love it. It's very concrete and it's very um, strong and powerful. Second one in the upper left is what I call self-witnessing in solitude. And that was my discovery, to my surprise, I have to say, that when I asked women what structures, practices, rituals they have that are non-negotiable for them, that help them be and do what they're being and doing right now. That's the exact question, the exact language. Non-negotiable is important. One of the, th the top one that women referenced was having time alone, wow. the solitude. Now, we hear a lot about loneliness in later years. This is not that. This is chosen time to use in a way that has a spiritual component to it, thus the self-witnessing. So self-witnessing in solitude, <clears throat> the, the declaration is that we're learning to listen to the quiet within 
and to a higher power, however we define it. And women define it in different ways, not surprisingly. I think we all do. <laughs> but that sense of having conscious time alone to commune, to listen, to tap into a deep sense of whether it's knowing or answers that we need, but it's definitely this sense of connecting to something larger. Yeah. And how that then ends up informing what we do or don't do in the world. So there's a connection here with upper left, what I'm doing individually, and how I choose to express that in the world. Right. Um, third declaration in the upper left is about inhabiting beauty. And it's that we're learning to be enveloped by the beauty we see and are within and without. And I can come back to that, sort of self-explanatory, but at an age where um, beauty comes into question in certain ways, this is a reclaiming what beauty oh, I is. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Reclaiming it for what it is for ourselves and also what it means to us, the soulful sense of what beauty does for us, surely as men and, and as women. Yeah. But you know, it turns out we, we have to have it. It's not just a nice to have, no. whether that's nature or how it gets expressed in our homes, etc. <clears throat> and then the fourth one in the upper left, again, you know, uh, individual interior is um, anvil of our becoming. And I just want to say what that is. Um, in asking women to trace their life stories for me, um, a, a lot of what comes up for any of us who have lived five or six or seven decades, there certainly are losses and there are challenges and there's disease and there's all kinds of injuries and things that have happened and deception. And, you know, we can name the kind of things that we cross swords with along the way as we're living our lives. Yeah. And um, I listened about those stories and I heard this tremendous value, not only value that women had for going through those things that they wouldn't have chosen, but the resilience and grace and knowledge that has come out of those experiences. And as one woman articulated it, she's a, a, a minister, and she said, you know, it's in the long run, it's not our achievements that define us. She said, it's you know, the way that we handle our challenges yeah. and trials. And she said then, those are the anvil of our becoming. Ah. And I thought that was so Yeah, that's, that's lovely. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So Reverend Marty McMain, um, and that's the upper left. We value the, the way that we've become who we are and, and how that has gotten expressed. Um, so that's upper left. Right I can on. go right into upper right, but yeah. maybe you want to. Well, I, 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 let's just linger a bit on these. Uh, so the four, again, are done with that, self-witnessing and solitude, inhabiting beauty and anvil of our becoming. And, um, I, of course, uh, I'm a man. I relate to all of those. And I think I see a difference that the feminine sort of challenge would be different in, uh, I think, of solitude 
women uh, typically are the center of the interpersonal collective in families. That's certainly been the traditional role. Men are always able to go out and hunt and do the, the missions and come back. And so there's an extra, you know, sort of karmic thing there with women. And, and it's interesting that there is a, um, you know, this declaration is, I want some solitude. Yeah. You know, I think that's really interesting to me. The other one is beauty, which we do tend to think of as being optional, but it's not. I mean, I was uh, reading a book. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Becoming Wild, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's talking about the animal kingdom and how we have to remember that, you know, the other half of Darwin's teachings about survival of the fittest is female choice. And so... Um, Beauty has all, is built in to, actually, I didn't think about it in this way as I was even thinking about it, but women have the choice of, of partners. And it turns out that um, ultimately what they are att attracted to is what they find beautiful. It's not necessarily functional. Uh, these, the, it's not necessarily the fittest. It's the ones they like the best. And, and that's interesting. And you also talk about how uh, we lose our looks as we grow older. That's, of course, a bigger burden for women. Uh, and yet, um, you got to deal with that, right? And so you beauty is just expanded beyond this upper right body thing yeah. and into your life in a bigger way or something. Yeah. 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 I, I love I love that. I love your way of putting it, that it expands beyond the upper right. What does our culture tell us beauty is and what have we told ourselves and how do we think we need to express it and apply it and consume in order to have it. And all of those all of those those um, messages that are out there. And and it's it's really it, I, I loved this discovery that I had as I talked to women when they would speak about, and they might or might not use the words beauty, mm -hmm. but when they would speak about what it means to them to go into nature and notice. And I remember one woman telling me, one woman in her 80s, one of the few I interviewed in her 80s, talked about how the longer she's alive, the more she notices the quality of the orange or the yellow or the red in the leaves Something. and the light. And you know, these things sound poetic, but really when we live closer to them and we notice them and we imbibe them, we can't help but be touched by them and transformed by them, I think. And then our notion of our own personal beauty, which maybe has taken, it takes center stage for a lot of women, not necessarily because it really is a priority, but there are so many pressuring messages about it. But there's, I found there's this wonderful sovereignty that arrives, particularly as somebody crosses the mark into their 60s. That's a generalization, but I, I, I have to say I did find that. Mm -hmm. And I found it for myself, where the way that one wants to express beauty, whether it's going gray in a certain way mm -hmm. or not mm -hmm. and thinking through the reasons why but totally owning them 
is, is, is a part of this, as you say, this larger definition um, of beauty around us, in us, expressing it, et cetera. Yeah. 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 It's not so locked in to the one expression that, yeah. Very good. Okay, so that's the upper left. Let's move over to the upper right. So this is the exterior of the individual. So action in the world, behaviors, even body. So some of it bleeds over here. Uh, but what do you find there? So upper right, you know, expressions through work um, for one thing is is kind of you know what do I do now? I the question of what now. Uh, is really very alive and very disquieting for a lot of women as we get into our late 50s. And I'm going to say particularly women who have been um, uh, self-actualizing in the world, who have been in the arena, you know, to use Brene Brown's phrase. So um, that sense of what now and um, what, what, do I want to work? What does work look like? Again, retirement not being attractive and working that wilderness period through. I really listened very intently um, to the many, many women in the hundred who had made that journey. Um, some were still in the middle of it and I listened to that too. Like what are the characteristics of the wilderness period? Mm -hmm. um, and that concern about loss of identity that I talked about earlier and a fear that there isn't anything else as satisfying. But women who I tracked, and there were so many, um, who have come into a new way of, of actualizing in the upper right um, work, uh, I call this pioneer on. So there are three themes that reside in the upper right. Pioneer on a time for firsts, and then take care of the vessel with love, the physical vessel. Yes. Right? The, the notion about pioneering on, Jeff, is, um, is really about continuing to contribute our gifts in the world, but in a new way. And so I, I found that there were several um, major ways that women sort of found their way into how do they want to be expressing uh, in the world now. And, and I'm not necessarily using the word work because sometimes it's through work, many times, and sometimes it's through something else. One of the markers about pioneering on is that the notion of achieving and the notion of ego recognition no longer tends to be important. Now, obviously we can't say it's not important to anybody anywhere, right? Correct. Who's 50, 60, 70, but it, it's not a driver in the way that it might've been in earlier right. years. And in what a relief. What a relief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a relief. Yeah. So, you know, linking upper left with upper right, when we talk about done with that, the number one thing that women said they're done with, I heard the same four words over and over again, what other people think. Yeah. Now, if we marry that with pioneering on, upper right now, it really means that there's a different impetus. There's a different place from which we're kind of making decisions about what do I want to do now? What am I curious about? What have I always wanted to do, but couldn't because I was raising children or I was needing to 
uh, earn, or I was responding to pressures that did have to do with rec ego recognition or achievement. But many, many women have found themselves taking threads from what they've been doing in the past, don't want to do the whole package anymore, mm -hmm. but birthing something new. Yeah. What, what would be an example? Um, you know, there's a woman I've come to know quite well now who lives in uh, Scotland, and she was a leadership development trainer and coach for police departments of all of all mm -hmm. domains. Um, lots of lots of background in sort of best practices with leadership development and training. And in fact, she's quite informed in terms of spiral dynamics and um, the integral integral world. And um, she realized that you know, she was ready to bring that to a close. At the same time, she was mentoring her, her growing daughters, and she was doing some caretaking for elder parents and in-laws. And she got very interested in this whole notion of um, multi-generational familying, multi-generational living. Long story short, um, she, had, she has decided, she kind of, um, uh, uh, began doing research and a lot of reading into multi-generational possibilities, living together, what might that look like, and how might she take her training and leadership background and offer programs and even um, do some writing, which she now does, on this whole topic for other families to consider worldwide. Um, so that's, that's kind of a... Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that just even uh, my integral mind goes, it's such a wonderful integration of these earlier stages. Multi-generational living was how we did it for 97% of human history, right. you know, and to bring that back online in a conscious way where we're not um, suffocated and the ties aren't so binding or, or maybe they are, but they're not so um, rigid. Right. Um, th there's something there, right? No doubt about right. it. And it also, I also love that it sort of blows out of the water. I mean, one of the old narratives is that sometimes we're um, we're laden as women and women at this age we're laden with the care of elder parents. Not not that we don't want to do that. I don't, but but that it is sort of a given and sometimes it completely takes over one's life. Right. There's no room to consider anything else. Right. So this creative way of thinking about what can many of these things, how can they reside together? Right on. There were also, um, there were also other threads, other themes of how women were and are um, pioneering on in ways that they want launching businesses, you know, women over 60, the last statistic I read are the largest group of people in the States anyway, who are launching new businesses over 60. Really? So isn't that, isn't that fantastic? Yeah, that's amazing. These, these ideas and these longings and these whispers in the background of what I'd really love to do if I could that's one of the things women are stepping into with this sense of, um, of boldness and yeah. joy, creativity. Linked to that, Jeff, is another declaration, which is a time for firsts. 
and it kind of speaks to itself. But first book, going back to school um, and getting an advanced degree for the first time, <laughs> taking up art, entering art exhibits, women who are doing things physically, they may not be entering marathons, although some of them are, but doing things that they've wanted to do for a long time and are now taking the opportunity to do. So I found this plethora of firsts and women are saying, you know, this is, this is my time. Uh, clear the decks. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is my time. I'm full of zest. I'm done caretaking because I, you know, my, my family doesn't need that anymore in the same way. And, and now I'm arriving at this place where I can express and I'm going to express some of the things I want to do. Going back to the point earlier we talked about of what's evolutionary about this, I think that is. I think that's an impulse that we're seeing in women and that women are really sort of celebrating and are aware yeah. that yeah. it's kind of our time, yes. not only for ourselves, but I think also for what the world needs from the feminine. Yeah, to talk a little bit more about that, Sue, because I'm feeling that, that the world does need more of the feminine and this mature feminine where we all of a sudden have this new cohort of women who are actually way more juicy and fertile than ever in these ways, you know, and really have this, um, you know, opportunity to bring forth new life, you know, in this way. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's so exciting. And it's also, I find it, you know, very, very touching really to think, as you just said, that there's this feeling of something happening in terms of the feminine coming online. Um, I recently heard Lynn Twist, who's the founder of the Pachamama Alliance, and she also is the founder of the Soul of Money Institute. And Lynn um, has done work all over the world and um, with Mother Teresa and all kinds of other global leaders. And, and she recently said, that the bird of humanity, that we are at this place where if we think about the feminine masculine as a bird of humanity, and that for millennia, the wing of the masculine is the one that has been flying and keeping things afloat and flapping and going and going and going, and that we are at a point where the masculine has been so overused and overextended um, that the time of the other wing, the feminine, is now arising and necessary in order to keep uh, the, the bird of humanity afloat. Now she would even say, and I have to agree, that if we're looking at the continuation of life, of life, on the planet, yeah. uh, you know, climate and humanity and social justice and decrease in violence and shifting from competition, relentless competition, all those et ceteras you and I could name, that the bird of uh, the, the wing of the feminine is needed. And not only needed, but to your question, I found without exception that when I would interview 
these hundred women, um, there was this sense of um, this is this is our time, yeah. and this strong embodied wisdom that we have, having come through these particular decades we've come through, uh, is now, the time is now. And it's sort of unstoppable, not just because there's a push to make sure like we're heard. It wasn't that. It was more going back to what you said a couple minutes ago, feeling that something's here and it's being called upon. Yeah. And and we're ready. Yeah. And we're ready. So I think the um I I think the time is now. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. And you know, Jeff, I wonder if we might wanna offline you and I touched on this um for a few minutes about what do we mean by the feminine? Yeah. Do we mean women? What do we mean by masculine? Do we yeah. mean how how do you hear that? How do you use those words? Yeah, well, they're ever-evolving, for sure. But if we just look at um, the structure of the universe, is that there's the two poles that are sort of the being pole, and then there's the becoming pole. So there's this active pole, and then there's the one that's just sort of holding the, the all and holding the one. So there's the one and the many. And that has been associated with masculine and feminine. And in sacred traditions, it's that sort of thing. So uh, if we look at the evolution of humanity, um, there has been, for most of human history, and it was functional, in, in its time in human history, patriarchy was functional. It moved the ball. And then there's the, you know, modernity. And so the, the, these masculine and feminine um, energies were associated and distributed uh, more with females and males. And, um, and at certain points in history, really dysfunctionally calcified around those poles so that there was no breathing room whatsoever. But if we even look at our own histories and how our grandparents were, great-grandparents, or parents, uh, and then us, and then our kids, oh my God, uh, we see that uh, one of the fruits of uh, evolution, and it's a great example of integral in general, is that the masculine and feminine energies have been increasingly colonized by both sexes. And, um, and that's gonna continue. And we're seeing um, all kinds of experiments and all kinds of new confusing and confused thinking at the cutting edge of that, uh, but um, it's fertile. And so part of that is this, where, um, you know, women, uh, especially your generation of women, uh, are um, just naturally comfortable in the realms that used to be exclusively, you know, male. And men are willing to have feelings and be nurturers and um, soft and the things that were associated with the feminine. And that's uh, evolution in progress. Yeah. So something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love hearing your reflections about it. Um, I think the word 
you know, feminine, the wing of the, the feminine wing that when I talk about feminine sensibilities that the time is now and that the women I interviewed really feel that and, and are, are, are ready and already um, catalyzed to, to use um, wisdom and, and embodied knowing in the world and take a stand about things, etc. Yeah. But I think that that word feminine, people use it in different ways. And I'll just say, and I say this in my book, that I think about the feminine as a, as a blend of qualities that are available to all of us. So they are available to men, they're available to women. Yep. Um, you know, being a man doesn't exclude them, being a woman doesn't necessarily guarantee them. Um, and women, I think, have been etching and having to hone and having to use though these qualities that are considered feminine. And, and by the way, I think feminine also includes strength, perseverance, diligence, so, you know, you yep. know not so soft all the time. Yep. Right, right. Mothers hang in there for long, long, long periods of time and take strong stands for their yep. children, etc. But I love this notion of the feminine as something, as, as you say, all of us are perhaps bringing more online and need to in our systems and policies and ways of making decisions and including and and you know breaking from many of the patriarchal systems that absolutely not only don't work but destroy yeah. uh, and so yeah. that this notion of the feminine coming online a very evolutionary impulse right now i think is one we we can all recognize whatever yeah. whatever gender yeah. very exciting yeah yeah the other thing I, I want to say, um, it, just in, in upper right, is without taking a deep dive into this, but the notion of um, not only work and expression in that way, but care, care for oneself, the vessel. Um, that was certainly something that was important to the women that I interviewed. Um, you know, key ways of taking care of ourselves through eating well and exercising. Um, and, and getting sleep, the, you know, those hardly need to be said. And right. yet, there's such a commitment to ourselves hmm. um, in taking care of those things now, where in many former years, when we were often caretakers of our families, and we were working, and we were going to parent-teacher conferences, and, 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 um, this is a time when yoga, for example, feels very juicy. Yoga was the number one physical practice that women talk about. Really? Using. The number one physical practice. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, so that's upper right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting that, um, you know, I, I just, as I listen to you, I just feel this impulse towards health that is knitted into the cosmos that when people have the time and space to encounter themselves and have the consciousness, you know, it sort of naturally organizes into a healthy expression, you know? Yeah. So, and you know, right. what makes me think, and then we'll do the other, the other quadrants um, is, is not to underestimate, I'm saying this for, for myself, but realizing it needs to be punctuated, not to underestimate how, 
spiritual inclinations seem to be coming very much into the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would you define that, Sue? Well, I think going back to self-witnessing and solitude, um, for the, the number one practice that the 100 women that I interviewed talked about when they do spend time alone, the number one practice was either meditation or prayer. Um, so, you know, that means different things to different people. Right. Right? It may be a, a, a divine, a higher power. It may be meditation that doesn't necessarily tap a higher power. But, you know, we know, we know lots of the different practices right. that might be meditation or prayer. But that was the first one. Yeah. And that whole notion of spending time um, walking in nature, journaling, reading sacred texts or poetry to reflect and go deeper. Those to me are our spiritual impulses, you know, the impulse to listen to our intuition and to trust it and to act on it. That's, that's really something when we begin to make decisions based on an inner knowing and intuition. Yeah. It's Instead quite of how it adds up on the balance sheet. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we move to lower yes, left? Yes, let's do indeed. So okay. lower left is the interior of the collective. Yeah. What'd you so find there was, there? Yeah. There was one that came up here that was quite strong. Um, I call it uh, create a moai. And the word moai is not necessarily familiar to a lot of folks, but bottom line is uh, it comes out of research done about blue zones. Uh, And blue zones in the world are places where, Dan um, Buettner says, people live the longest and are the happiest. And one of the characteristics is this sense of belonging, this sense of having a tribe where I'm known and I'm authentic and people would notice if I didn't show up. Right. Women, um, in particular, I think, have this deep desire for places, relationships that are what I call exothermic, where we can go and be seen um, with all of our vulnerabilities, all of our failings, to not be fixed or to have problem solving as the focus but rather we're regu- we regularly come together to share, to witness each other, to hear each other, and that there really is a regularity to it, that I, it's not just, I plan once in a while to see you for coffee, but a Moai is, uh, is a group that meets regularly, and you can count on seeing these women, these sisters, once yeah. a month or twice a month or whatever. So they're consciously formed. Now, did most of these women have this or they wish they had this? Yeah, the, I'll say this. The women who had it, when I asked what's most important in your life right now and what could you not do without, the women who have these sisterhoods or moais hmm. talked about it as an absolute soul-giving, life-giving characteristic that they would not and could not do without. Um, Women who didn't have it really feel the void of not having it. So um, one of the reasons that I call this declaration, create a Moai, is to pay attention to the impulse of how important it is to have those kind of relationships. 
yeah. where we can show up regularly. Could and you do it over Zoom? The, the group I've been a member of for seven years, we meet once a month um, on Zoom. And we used to be by phone. Now we're um, on Zoom. And it, so proximity, face-to-face -face makes no difference. No need to be face-to-face. -face. Isn't, isn't that... Astonishing, hard to overestimate how powerful that is. Hallelujah, that we can create we space over the phone and on Zoom. And we, and we can, this is no longer a question. This is no longer an open, <laughs> we know it now. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's, that's lower right. left. Yeah, did you talk in the book about how to do that and some of the... Yeah, there's actually a, um, a practice at the end of every chapter about how to develop more of each one of these declarations. And there's a, there's a step-by-step about building, creating a Moai. Um, at the end of that chapter. And one of the things I, I'd say in closing about the Moai is um, it sometimes the people that we get together with regularly in this way are not who we expect. Hmm. It may not be a short list of the friends that before COVID we used to go have coffee or go to the movies with. It, it may very well not be. There's yeah. some different characteristics that we to look for, to scan for, to create the moais that work for us. Wow. That, yeah. That, that's a, maybe a very significant discovery, Sue. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so we have one more in the lower right quadrant, and this is, you know, how you impact the world. Right. So the lower, the lower right is, um, is leaving a legacy, and that won't surprise anybody that that's something that was very up for the 100 women I interviewed. You know, um, the question of, have I done enough? And what do I wanna do with the time that I have to contribute in a way that will make a difference? So, you know, not surprisingly, but sometimes the legacy leaving efforts and desires are coming out of um, uh, what most breaks our heart. Really? And yeah, there's a, a woman I interviewed who lives up on uh, one of the Pacific um, Northwest islands. And, you know, the whole climate change issue is huge for her. It, it just, I mean, it breaks a lot of our hearts, right? right. Um, she's a naturalist. She has studied um, trees and she's done all kinds of outdoors groups for many, many years. And she's just decided that she wants to pour her years into doing some things she can do locally that will make a difference in the long run. So that really has come out of what it is that, um, that breaks her heart the most. And of course, for other people, it's different, different things. Um, yeah. uh, so, so clearly leaving a legacy and thinking through consciously about what we want that to be and how to lay down those tracks was something that was up for the women that I spoke to. And Jeff, I have to say, and I'm gonna ask your input on this, the last of the 10 declarations, uh, which is the last chapter in my book, is called Exquisite Being. Hmm. It's, about, um, it's about relishing the magic of the ordinary. It's about women, and I, I haven't known what quadrant I've, I've thought that belongs in all of them, but it's, 
you know, I'm curious what you think. It's this sense of now my work is about how I'm being and my way of being is about loving in the most spiritual and meaningful, simple way that I can. So I call that exquisite being. I'd love to know where you'd put that in the aqua frame. Yeah. Well, just, uh, just a bit of theory first. And that is that the, the, the quadrants are a map of manifest reality, not absolute reality. So if we have, you know, a, a, the, the absolute, which is, you know, unspeakable, the Godhead, the thing you can't explain, the thing that words and thought arise within, but cannot be described by words and thoughts. So this is just the being, this is just the shimmering reality of, of the space within which the four quadrants arise. So they permeate all of the four quadrants. And um, that's what you're talking about. And it's actually would be being is a very good word of way of describing it. An exquisite being is almost the description of the practice of realizing it. So I'd say, I'd say something like that. That's beautiful. Thank you. I, I think it's really important when we talk about um, evolutionary impulses of any kind, but certainly what I think all of, all of these speak to, these 10 declarations that came out of the interviews with women over 50, is that they, they all reside together. Like yeah. there's no, I purposefully did not say the number one declaration is this, because that's not how life unfolds. They all inform each other. The belonging to a Moai helps inform how somebody is feeling spiritually. And that helps inform how they want to pioneer on in the world. And that informs how I want to leave a legacy. So I, I love your description of how this, it's a sense of it's being and it's all arising, but in living in the same space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken Wilber talks about the four quadrants as tetra arising. They arise in an intertwingled way, yeah. you know, and um, that's so great. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So, well, that was very inspiring. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm glad you're mapping this out. And uh, I would advise anybody who's interested in this to check out the book. Again, A Call to Further Becoming, The New Declaration from Women Over 50 by Sue Brightman. And Sue, where can people find out more about you if they want? And actually, why don't you just give us a little bit about what you're up to now that you've got this book written? Uh, so I coach women uh, over 50, particularly around this whole wilderness period and, um, and what they might want to do next. I hold workshops. There's one in January that's all, it's a dialogue and a workshop around the declarations in the book. Uh, and I just love doing those because it makes the book come alive and and applicable. It makes it applicable for women to lean into and think, how, you know, what do I want in my life right. around beauty, et cetera. And then um, I conduct two women's retreats a year. Uh, the first the first time ever I did one on Zoom uh, uh, last month over a two week period. So wow. um, that's for women over fifty who just kind of want to explore their their further becoming up ahead. Wow! So two weeks. 
uh, on, on Zoom. I assume, it's, of course, it's just some period of time every day or a few, few hours and then some days off. To yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. And then people can find out more about you at suebrightman.com. Easy enough. All right, Sue. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, really great visiting. Love the conversation. Me too. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time on The Daily Evolver. Bye.